Welcome to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson, hosted by attorneys Sean Garner and Adam Hanson. Welcome to another edition of Life, Death, and the Law. I'm Sean Garner. I'm in studio here with Adam Hanson and Cody Beeson. Welcome, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. So, a lot of things happening in the world today. Um, I w- was mentioning to my wife the, the feeling that I've had the past couple of days since this attack on Israel. And um, it feels kind of like when it sunk into me that COVID was going to have a huge impact on our society, when my brother's dental office was shut down and I, I'm getting ready to go to work and I'm getting in my car and I look over and he's working in his yard. And that's when it hit me for the first time. This is real because up until then, everybody was saying, this is going to be big. This is going to be, this is going to be spread throughout the world. But we'd heard that about a lot of other things and it didn't really, to me, affect how society ran and my everyday life. But COVID, I mean, it shut down his business. And he was very concerned, like, how is he going to provide for his family? And I thought it was only a matter of time before there was a mandate to shut down my law practice or the law practice that Adam and I run. And so um, I was very concerned about that, waking up with this feeling of just heaviness on my heart about where our society was going in general for two reasons. One, that the plagues prophesied in the Bible were starting to come to pass, and uh, we're starting to see some pretty rough times ahead of us. And two, that the freedoms that we enjoy and oftentimes take for granted here in America to own property and produce and participate in capitalism, which is the best form of government known to man, other than the, you know, the family, um, that those were going to be taken away from us in short order, without a lot of pushback from the citizenship. So all of that weighed on my chest very heavily. And now for about the past three years, that is alleviated bit by bit until I feel like there's a sense of normalcy again. Of course, there's always the pre-COVID society that we lived in and the post-COVID, just like there was the pre-9-11 society that we lived in, where you could walk right up to the gate that you you would get on the plane without any ticket and now you got to go through phases of um, getting pat- patted down by a TSA. Anyways, I don't want to digress too much. There's this heaviness that I feel about what's going on in the world and it's it feels like this escalation that is occurring between Israel and uh, the Palestinians, especially on the Gaza Strip particularly, um, but it's now escalating further and and north to Lebanon and also with Hezbollah in Palestine to the uh, east of Israel. From Lebanon, the north, yeah, yeah Hezbollah. Lebanon in the north and, and Hezbollah, which is, you know, the Palestinian form of government in, um, well, in, Palestine, in yeah. Palestine to the east. I would argue it's a terrorist organization just like Hamas. So. Well, terrorist organizations are political. commonly... They call themselves warm. a political organization, but... Well, well, terrorists can be political organizations. Yeah, it's true. That's what they I mean, are. What is Al- Al-Qaeda? Yeah, another yeah, terrorist organization, but political political uh, organization. So, um, yeah, it, it feels like that. And it feels like there isn't going to be um, a return to normalcy after this. Like, the status quo has been broken and for good. I was listening to a newscast, and so this is where I kind of want to introduce some some discussion points here and get your feedback on this. I was listening to a newscast, and it was particularly from India. And I like watching 
foreign source news channels because they seem to be less biased, have a broader coverage of, of the topics rather than focusing in on a single subject and then inserting just narratives and having editorials rather than reporting the news. Yeah, good or bad. I, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I do the same thing. That's why I say that. Most of my news, I don't watch the, the daily news on a TV broadcast antenna. Yeah. I watch it on YouTube. I'll look up these foreign sources. Oftentimes I'll look at Spanish news in Spanish and British, you know, things because I feel like I get a more authentic, non-biased opinion there. Yeah. And and it, and it covers a broader scope that and and from an outsider's point of view. And so either way, this this news source is called um it's Wyon, W I O N. Out of India. Out of India, and it's it's, it's a great source, but their perspective was that um the strike that Israel is doing right now in Gaza is a little too heavy and that it, it only marks the beginning, which President Not- or um, Prime Minister Netanyahu um, has promised this is the only the beginning. We're going to continue and continue and go until Hamas is totally rooted out and non-existent, which I understand. Her point was it needs to be commensurate with the attack that they received. So basically, they only need they, they should only attack um, the Palestinians to the extent that they were attacked. And I thought, well, that doesn't make sense at all in our form of justice. So let, let's put that into perspective here. Adam, if uh, you had somebody steal from you, okay, let's say they stole something, they, they held you up at a gas station, okay, and you had 100 bucks in your wallet and they stole that from you at gunpoint, would you feel that you are made whole if, if you took them to court, the court found them guilty, and they were required to give that $100 back? Probably not. Right? So what would be a just punishment for somebody that by force takes that property from you or holds you hostage it's not just the $100 or maybe, and, and perhaps you're only held hostage for 30 minutes. So what, should they spend 30 minutes in jail? So there's a lot of issues that you're throwing out there. I mean, legally, as an attorney, I mean, there's all sorts of... No, and causes, I'm, I'm just saying... It's causes of action. You've got the emotional distress, okay, which is a cause causation that you can sue for, which gives you damages beyond what the $100 that you received. Mm-hmm. That's going to be in the, in the eyes of the jury how much... How, did that cause me to not be able to sleep at night? Am I constantly in fear every time I go gas up at the gas okay, station? Okay, so throw out all the civil litigation aspects of it. We're just talking criminal, and, and the purpose of criminal law is to prevent or even punish Punitive. Criminals. It's a punitive way to say to our society at large, if you do this, you will be punished heavily. Yes. and so As a it, deterrent. As, as a deterrent. So it's a deterrent. And um, so is if you just have retribution, reparations, in the amount that they took, then it, it would never be a deterrent. Because if I'm going to go in and I'm going to consider, well, if I make out with 100 bucks, then great, I get the 100 bucks. If I don't, then i got to pay the 100 bucks back. That's not going to ever be a deterrent. So when we look at these international policies of war where it says, well, you can only have retribution – that is on the level of the harm that was received, that doesn't make sense at all. That's never going to be a deterrent for any country or any bad actor to do something bad. And so when Israel continues to do what they're doing, which is to level 
Gaza right now and to go in and uh, make sure that it eradicates Hamas in general as a, as a party and as a terrorist group, then um, I think that is the appropriate reaction. And I think that that's consistent with not only our justice system here in the United States, but the justice system throughout history of mankind. I agree with that. I think maybe this reporter, she's appealing to what Israel would understand, which is the law of Moses, an eye for an eye. Maybe that's what she's trying to appeal to. Right. But I agree with you. I mean, it has to be swift. It has to be punitive in nature, such that it will send a message to any future individuals that have the idea of killing innocent people or waging war against Israel. That's what you... What, what did we do? I mean, you look at Arizona. You look at the U.S. After 9-11, we did this exact same thing when we initiated the war on terror air quotes. Uh, but we were swift. We were quick to go back and not just an eye for an eye, mm-hmm. but we needed to eradicate that. It's really a virus. It's a virus mentality of hate against another group of individuals. Yeah. And I think that there were a lot of bad policies that came out of that eventually, like, for example, spying on American citizens and, and spying on people in general and also occupying countries for decades that wasn't right, but the whole going into Afghanistan originally, I, I was in support of that because they they looked at Afghanistan as a hot spot for terrorists, yeah. you know, and and so it's like we got to go in there and we've got to establish that if there's going to be a terrorist attack that is uh, um, generated from this country, that country is going to see some serious replications, and and that party that is instigating it and advocating for it is going to be diminished far beyond the capacity that it had prior to the attacks. And so that's what we did. Now, the occupation of Afghanistan for the amount of years I I didn't agree with, or at least I don't in retrospect. It was hard at that time for me to have an unbiased approach on that. But I now see that it was a lot of foreign policy for control in the Middle East and, and more for oil and, and other types of resources there. Saudi Arabia, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's super complex. And if you've been paying attention to this or you've done a little bit of research, not even a little bit of research, you've really got to do some... I, I've spent probably five hours going through his... I wanted to understand this in, this idea. What is this truly about? I don't know if you can ever like nail it down to one or two things, but I wanted to understand the history. I knew I knew a brief history of the area just because I subscribed to the Bible, and so I know the Judeo-Christian beliefs and the and the history there. But I really didn't understand. Well, when was this territory really taken over by a Muslim type faction? You know, so I had to go back and do do a little bit of research and and do that over and over and over again so I can understand the history and the timeline of of individuals that have been occupying that area for for centuries, really, going back to the Ottomans. Yeah, so w- what I take from this is this is not going to be short. It's going to be what's going to happen is there's going to be outside Muslim countries, primarily um, Iran, that is going well, they to— They already have. They've already—I mean, they were already known to help yeah. Hamas. I mean, they were funding it with $100 million a year, and— uh, outwardly saying they wanted those funds and that that was just the funds for it and and they were providing weapons as well and they wanted those weapons to be used against Israel there were, there was no qualms about how Iran felt about Israel they wanted the Zionist state and this Zionist 
um, mentality to be eradicated. And so um, there, it, it takes no leap at all to connect the two. It only is going to be a matter of time before Iran officially signs on, I believe, to support the war against Israel in general and tries to rally the support of other Muslim nations. And, of course, Saudi Arabia is a Muslim nation that was looking to normalize relationships with Israel and and establish a more stable Middle Eastern area right there and so they could have stable trade policies and it was going to help everybody out, everybody in the world. We're all affected by the Middle East. And it appears that Iran did not want that. And so soon after we released $6 billion in sanctions against Iran, that uh, they turned around and uh, supported, at least in some sense, this uh, attack against Israel. And now the whole region is, is totally upside down. And that's going to affect the rest of us. So what do we do? Um, I don't know. But what what I can say for um, from a personal perspective is that we have a tendency from just a human nature to look beyond the mark. And um, there was this great story that I heard from this. It's a general conference that I attend as part of my church. And it was from Dale Renlin. And he talked about um, two... Egyptian um, explorers that, that joined forces. One was George Herbert, and the other one was Howard Carter. Now, Howard Carter was an archaeologist and, and, and well-famed for his ability and understanding to uh, find artifacts in Egypt. And uh, George Herbert was this earl from England that had wealth. And so in 1907, they joined forces, and um, Herbert funded Carter's expeditions to uncover all these artifacts. And in uh, the 1920s, they received permission to excavate in the Valley of the Kings in Egypt, which was known to be one of the the most robust and richest areas of, of artifacts there. And they were looking for King Tut's tomb. And so they set up their base camp there in the Valley of the Kings and they're excavating, and they excavate methodically all around for years doing this. And they haven't found what they're looking for. And so Herbert decides, you know what, we're going to call this off. Tried, we didn't find it. People have been looking for it for a long time. King Tut is 3,000 years old, so this is a long, long ago hidden treasure. And, um, and, and Carter convinces him, Let, let's do it one more season. And so... He acquiesces, and they decide to do it for one more season. And so Carter goes back to his maps and is looking and says, like, what haven't we done? He says, we excavated this, this entire valley right here. And he goes, the only part that we haven't excavated is our base camp. And then, boom, light bulb goes off. We've got to excavate under our base camp. Within days of excavating where they were camped, right under their feet, they found the entrance, this, the steps leading in to King, King Tut's tomb, and there was gold everywhere and artifacts that were you know, beyond the worth of gold. And then ultimately they found King Tut's tomb and many more. It was, it was deemed the, the greatest archaeological discovery of the 20th century. And this because they stopped, thought about it for a moment, and said, what, where are we 
and where do we need to pay attention? And it was right where they were at. So where are we? Like, how do we contribute to this turmoil that the world is going through and that is marked specifically by these wars that are going on with Ukraine and Russia and um, Israel and Palestine? And I think it comes right back down to, well, what do we have in our homes that can bring peace and that can help us understand and make sense of what is going on today? We're going to come back to that. We have to take a break. This is Life, Death, and the Law. Coming up, more thought-provoking conversations on life, death, and the law right after this. Hey, you, my Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit YumaEstatePlanning.com. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back to Life, Death, and the Law. We're talking about the turmoil that we find ourselves in in the world right now. I've likened it to um, the days just after 9-11, how the world will never be the same after 9-11, and then the days after COVID with all the shutdowns, how it, the world's not the same. It's like we got this pre- and post-COVID world. And now we've got this pre- and post-COVID war between Israel and Palestine. And they've been at war many times, nine times in, in the recent decades, and have to defend each other against aggressions of the other. Now, of course, it depends on what side you look at. I, I take Israel's side, and I say that uh, it's Hamas that is this terrorist state, and they are the aggressors, and for Israel has, has stayed within its borders and, and has had a lot of progress in developing civilization and uh, good relations within the neighborhood that they're in with it with all of the hatred that has been poised and directed at them. But um, people they just hate Jews, um, especially, you know, they're in Iran, they're in Syria. They want to get rid of this Zionist state. They, they hate the idea that this is a God-given land to the Jews for their inheritance, and that it's divinely theirs. And so they want to get rid of the Jews, and the Jews are a vast, vast minority there, yet they have brought more good to the world and the region at large than any other population, person per person. I mean, they're a very small population in comparison to their neighbors around them. But when you look at what was being developed in that area of the world prior to Israel being established as a nation in 47 and afterwards, um, that 
it, it has grown exponentially. The agriculture there, the technology there, just the ability to contribute to civilization in general. And so there is something there. They're, they are God's chosen people. I believe that because it's in the Bible, and I, I believe the Bible, but I also believe it because I can see with my own eyes what's happening in society and, and how they contribute. But Adam, for you, in your home, what helps you make sense of all this and give you direction as to what to do and, and, and direct your family? You alluded to it right there. I mean, the Bible, the the scriptures that we have, my family subscribes to those. We We read those daily. And we pray as a family. So it's this Judeo-Christian belief that we have that keeps us grounded and keeps our bearings. You know, I I go to church every Sunday that I can make it, you know, if I'm not sick or something like that. But my family goes to church, and that's helping me as an individual keep a perspective as to these world events and when things like this happen. Putting it into perspective, you're, you're going to align it with those historical records that we know of. You can argue all day long whether or not um, Jesus is the Christ or whether there is a God. The only thing we really have to rely on is, as that is, that is um, verifiable, is written records. And those written records are contained in the modern Bible. I mean, you can say all you want about, oh, it didn't happen or it did happen. Well, those are journal records of what actually happened from the beginning of time. And you don't have any evidence to the contrary. I think not only are you right, but uh, Jordan Peterson put it so succinctly that it, it kind of gave me an epiphany. He said, not only is the Bible truth, the Bible defines truth because civilization developed worldwide with the printing and and reading of the Bible. We measure what is right and wrong by what's taught in the Bible. We communicate with other people. More languages have been learned by comparing different um, versions of the Bible, like you know the German version to the English version, and then people can learn German or English because they compare those two versions. The book has been printed in more languages than any other book. It's been published and distributed to more people than any other book, and I don't think there's any coincidence about that. God wants his word to get out there to the world. And he wants that to be done. Now it's it's upon us to take it and read it. So how often do we read it? You know, just um, yesterday I was driving home, and uh, there was an ambulance. I was bringing my my daughter and a couple of her friends home from a boat trip, and there was an ambulance that was driving in front of us, and on the back of an ambulance was a staff with a serpent wrapped around it. And so I asked, does anybody know why they have a staff with a serpent? You know, that seems kind of... Um, contradictory. You know, snakes usually cause injuries. And um, it goes back to the biblical story where the Israelites, after they were liberated from Egypt, they're going through the desert, and uh, they're going through a rebellious stage, and so God sent fiery serpents. They were snakes to bite them, but he also gave Moses instruction to create a brass serpent and to put it on his rod and hold it up, and anybody that would just cast their eyes upon the rod and the serpent, that brass serpent on the rod, would be healed. That's all they had to do, was cast their eyes. But because it was so easy, many of them perished, many of them died, and they wouldn't do it. And we use that now as a symbol of health and healing, um, the serpent, the brass serpent on a staff. 
But how many of us drive by those ambulances and have no clue that's what it is? And it's the same thing with the Bible that I hope everybody has in their home that just sits there, but we don't open it and read it. You you go back to truth. We live in, in an era, a day now where truth is being flipped upside down, I would say. And not only that this was predicted, going back to the Bible, it was predicted in the Bible. Truth would be um, flipped upside down. And uh, so we can look to the Bible as our guideline, but getting back to the truthfulness of it, I like to compare it to what we do as attorneys. If I go into a courtroom and you put one person on the stand and ask them questions to verify something as a witness, that's okay, you know, but it's that person that person's opinion, that person's account of what they thought they saw. When you add another person to that that verifies what that person saw in their own words, or you add another person to that, and now you have a team of witnesses all verifying what happened, what event happened. It just adds to the truthfulness of that event. And that's how I see the Bible. It's one witness after another of what's actually happened in our our world's history. And to contradict that or to to not acknowledge that would be very naive i would i would argue and even if you don't believe um the the christianity type way or or the Jew, jewish uh, faith you have to recognize that the bible historically just from a historicity point of view contains our our world history from multiple different viewpoints and witnesses which would attest to its truthfulness. Otherwise, you have nothing to go off of. You're just, it's conjecture. And that's what we often see nowadays. We were rewriting history, be it how Columbus arrived in America and what he did when he got here, or uh, how, how uh, World War II was started or ended. So we, could, we have the luxury of looking back and throwing out theories, but those are all just conjecture. Unless you can go to a written record, that's that's the most verifiable source is a written witness of history, and that's what the Bible contains in my mind. So going back to your original question, that that is what's under our feet as a family that we we keep going back to to align ourselves and keep us in check if we're straying from that that um, archaeological site like you brought up in that story. Then we need to dig deeper into that into that source of truth. And look where we are right now. What do we have? Like, does God exist? And I think the answer has got to be yes. Otherwise, boy, you're a cynical person. And, and, and this life is bleak, and anything that happens to you could be catastrophic. And if he does, then um, most likely he cares about us. And if he cares about us, then he's going to give us a way to understand what, it would, what we need to do to feel that care and to act. And there it is. The, the, the Bible is spread out farther and wider than any other book, and um, it's there. It's under our feet. Yeah, absolutely. So what does that mean in, in the context of what we're seeing over in the Middle East? I don't see—you know, I was talking to Sean before the show about the research that I've done, and, and through my research, and I hate to sound pessimistic, I've never really taken an interest in this conflict before between Israel and the Palestinians. I, I really haven't, because it seems to me— all through my lifetime, this, is ha- this has been happening. Like Sean said, it's been nine times that they've been going back and forth. But for some reason, this one that happened last a uh, couple Saturdays ago, 
this attack was different. I, I don't know why, but I felt something inside of me tell me this is different and it's it's not good. It, this is not going to find a resolution. So I wanted to know more about that. I hadn't taken interest in the area or the conflict and what is this really about before, but I've spent hours researching the history there and and not that that's not to say that I understand everything and the complexities of what's going on. I think there's a lot of different issues, but I it helps me bit, give me perspective as to where I need to align myself and what I think we as a nation should do in aiding Israel in their fight for freedom. We spent so much energy and time and money um, with Ukraine, but we're, it doesn't feel like we're doing the same for Israel when Israel is, is actually our ally. And we have aligned ourselves with them for decades since their creation. And yet I feel like we're not quick to respond with them. And I don't understand that because the world is collapsing around them. They are not sur- they're surrounded by enemies. I mean, that, that's the reality. We give it, you got Lebanon um, and Hezbollah that's already been attacking and, and doing damage from the north. You've got uh, the Gaza Strip, the Palestinians getting aid from Iran to invade and, and wreak havoc so, in the south. But the fact that this was predicted, this was prophesied of in the Bible, the fact that God knew about it and still says, be of good cheer. It's a commandment, be of good cheer. So he knows that there's going to be wars and there's going to be famine and there's going to be pestilence. But he says, be of good cheer. So it, what that says to me is, although I can't resolve the disputes that are occurring in the world, whether they're in my own life, um, I mean, to a certain extent, um, with regard to you know political fractioning and, and what's going on in our country with the divisiveness that's going here, or whether it's across the world in, in actual wars and, and bloodshed, I can still be of good cheer knowing that God still exists, he's still in control, and if I just turn my will over to him, continue to be obedient then I can find peace in that. And it's not what happens to me and my family. It's how I react and how committed I am to God and, and following his will will determine my level of happiness. And so I, I have to acknowledge that I, I'm not in control. The only thing that I'm in control of is my agency of how I actually treat my family and those directly around me in light of all of the horrific things that are going on. And it's easy to talk about, but if you were a Palestinian or an Israeli that just lost their child because of this violence, it becomes a little bit more, more at, hitting at home. And so I'm, I'm not, not, and I'm not preaching appeasement. I'm not saying that just because you need to be a peacemaker that means that you let people trample over you and kill your family. No, no, no. I'm just saying here in America, what do we do as an individual citizen? I think we support the cause of right. But then in our families, we got to anchor in and, and build a foundation on stone, and that is Christ. So when you say support the nations of right, you're, you're saying Israel Israel's the right one in this war. Absolutely. And from a political standpoint, so I was being non-political in that sense and just saying from a very individual perspective, what do we do in order to have peace in times of turmoil? And that is to acknowledge that God exists and as long as we follow him, we can have a sense of inner peace. Like, for example, I can be out in the wilderness, and I can be, you know, hungry and tired and thirsty and exhausted, but happy. And, and all those things don't seem to go together, right? 
happiness seems to go with luxury and being full and, and being pampered. But we know that that's not reality. When we work hard to achieve something, when we have conflict in our life and we seek peaceful in, in, or peace in our own heart, then we can achieve a level of happiness despite the storms that are raging around us. And so I think that we need to have a righteous indignation for evil and and fight against it with all the weapons that we have at our disposal. But we also need to, within our own families, understand that we can still have happiness. We don't have to wait for this war to be over to have happiness. We can have happiness right now and fight against evil. We have to go to break. This is Life, Death, and Law. We'll be right back. Coming up, more thought-provoking conversations on life, death, and the law right after this. Hey, you, my Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back to Life, Death, and the Law. We're being very philosophical and religious today on, on, on the show. So, uh, if you're with us, then that's great. But uh, I want to talk a little bit about not only how accurate the Bible is, that it is the standard for truthfulness, but give you an example of it. So in Paul's epistle to Timothy, he wrote this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people, was his admonition. You look at our institutions today, you look at our universities, you look at all these billboards that you go by and it says, you do you. That is a direct fulfillment of these prophecies that people will be so self-absorbed, lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure more than God, disobedient to parents. This whole idea that um, schools can embrace a child's mental disorder, that they are born in the wrong body and withhold that from the parents. That's not only the, the children being disobedient to the parents, it's, it's 
being embraced by the society in general. And all of those are, are so us today. That is us. That defines our society. And if you take a, a book that was written 2,000 years ago and it defines our society to a T, if you just take a bigger perspective, let's say that there was this great archaeological find, okay? And I think people would be more apt to believe it if they had some type of link to aliens or something, right? They found that there was something that was extraterrestrial, and they found in this thing that there was all these writings, and we were able to interpret those writings, and those writings described our society to a T, and then described how we could have peacefulness and happiness. I think individuals would flock to that. I think that the population would flock to that. The mainstream media would flock to that. The, the irony is that we have it. It's our base camp. It is underneath our feet. It's just because it's existed so long, we take it for granted. And it is extraterrestrial. It does not, this is not written from man. This is written inspiration from God that was prophecy of what was going to happen in our day. But it's kind of like, well, that's not very new and exciting. So let's just go on to something else that's funner to talk about. Well, it's reality. It, we are experiencing it. And so if we, first of all, recognize where we are in reality, hopefully we can recognize the solution to help us become happy and successful. And, and I say that in, in, in a broader, broader sense of the sense successful, not just by money, but by happiness and having um, well-rounded children that go on to be productive members of society. So, Adam, what's your take on all that? No, I, I totally agree with you. I think um, we as families just need to get get ourselves anchored in something, something that is truth. And we pride ourselves in this nation as purveyors of of freedom, right? And that one of the tenets that we base our society on here in the United States is the freedom to exercise your religion, and judicially over the course of of our history that's been interpreted to mean I can exercise my religion or my beliefs so long as I don't cause harm to you or anybody else around me. But uh, that is a good standard, I believe, because if you look at Israel and Palestine, it's a difference. It's a difference of mentality. Palestine or Hamas or Hezbollah, whoever those actors might be, they have written in their creed, the destruction of all those that don't believe the way that they do. Yeah, and that's... Specifically Jews. A Zionist um, a Zionist state and a Zionist um, way of living. So in your creed of creation, and this is in the case of Hamas, in your creed, your creed says that you must annihilate the Jews and kill them on sight. I don't see a good um, solution for the for the Jewish people or Israel in coming to a, an agreement with that type of mentality. There, there is no, there is no uh, agreement you can really come right. to other than we can suppress you for a time over and over and over again, but there's going to be a point where that just explodes, and well, I think we're seeing that. To bring it closer to home, just imagine yourself that you're in this neighborhood and there's this gang in the neighborhood that keeps terrorizing houses. You never know which house it's going to be. You never know what night it's going to be in. Sometimes they'll just break in and steal jewelry, and other times they'll, they'll, they'll break in and, and kidnap a child or, or kill somebody. It's like, well, what do we do with this gang? Do we 
go and meet them and try to be diplomatic with them, right? They're they're a gang. They don't they don't think rationally. They're monsters. Humans have the ability to become monstrous, even though that we have a form of godliness. We need to exercise that. We need to actually aspire to it. And some people they choose not to. They try choose to suppress it and become devils and and persecute people. And so when you've got this gang, what's the only option? I mean, Cody, what would be your only option? I mean, you have to fight force with force and eradicate that mentality. You got to get rid of the gang. Yeah. Right? You got to eliminate the gang. At least take out all the leaders and 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 help the others believe and and actually reform to a peaceful way of life. And if and if they outwardly accept that peaceful way of life, then so be it, but if they're never going to accept that peaceful way of life and become productive on their own by by their own means, they're only going to live off of uh, what they steal and, and, and what they plunder from you, well, then that's never going to be something that can be a harmonious relationship. Exactly right. And, I mean, as you're talking, I'm thinking it, it's all about—this th- is kind of like a virus mentality that is you have Hamas or the Palestinian people that they, they truly believe that Israel is— a civilization that needs to be eradicated. That that's what they believe, and that that's deep in their core. It's been there for even, thousands of years. Even taking out the leaders, the, that I don't see an, an, uh, a way of getting that out of a people without their true eradication. Which is sad to say because now you're you're saying, well, we're going to annihilate you. Well, that was what they said the whole time about them. So the Palestinians have always been like, no, we our goal is to eradicate you. But now the only solution really is for the for Israel to eradicate the Palestine. That that there's so now you're playing their own game, and it's like where or can we come to a truce somehow? I don't see a truce happening that wouldn't always end in you've got these individuals that are left behind that always have, will always hate, you know that mm-hmm. other that other party or that other group of people, and you you can't get rid of that without true annihilation and eradication and starting over. And that's what happened over the course of history. I mean, that's what true conquerors do. When you go into an area, you have to conquer, you have to rebuild on top of their their stuff. You would knock down the church and build a Muslim mosque on top of it. Then the Catholics would come back, knock that down, put another church up. So you're always eradicating a culture that existed. That's That's historically what you have to do to move forward with a culture. We're just living it now, and we're not really used to seeing that. We see it in the history books throughout centuries of time where you have Assyrians coming in this area. You have the Ottomans coming into this area up until World War II when um, the British and the French aligned with the Ottoman, or with, with the Arabs to eradicate the Ottomans, and then they just don't give the area back. And I think that's the real rub for, for these individuals. Um, you could call them Arabs or the Muslim countries over there, they feel like their land was taken from them, and it kind of was. I mean, the UN decided, hey, we're going to create these two nations, and you're one, Palestine, and you're one, Israel, and oh, we're going to give Israel to these people, and we're going to give Palestine to you people, and you just have to be okay with that. So I think that's the real rub for the Palestinians is we never agreed to that. It was thrust upon us, and we're going to hate Western world for the rest of our lives because of it. And we're going to teach our kids to hate them. And we're going to teach generations to come to hate them. They are the true evil. They took our lands, and 
we want them back. Well, uh, so I know we've got to go, but kind of a parting comment that I want to leave the audience with is that Jesus taught one of the great truths is, by their fruits you shall know them. Okay, There's going to be a lot of people, a lot of wolves dressed in sheep's clothing that are among you, a lot of false prophets. How do you know? Because there are many people that have a mastery of languages, and they can articulate things that seem right and feel good, or, or they, they, they cater to human tendencies and, and ambitions. And um, how do you really know whether they're good or not? Well, you look at their fruits, you look at their works, you look at what they contribute. The Jewish population is 0.2% of the population of the earth. 0.2%. Yet look at the contributions that they've made to society. They are God's chosen people. They have a right to exist, as anybody does, but not only that, God has favored them and enabled them to not only survive but thrive when they are surrounded by enemies and people that want to annihilate them. And if you look through the histories of the Jews, you, it, there's rarely a period of time that goes spans more than 20 years where there isn't an overwhelming majority that is trying to exterminate them, not suppress them, not conquer them, exterminate them, yet they've survived. That means something, and so I think that's a good reason that America supports them because we want to be on God's side, and to be on God's side, you need to be on God's people's side. So I'm going to leave the audience with that, and we'll talk to you next week. This is Life, Death, and Law. If you have questions or want to know more about something that was discussed today, please call the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson at 928-783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com.